Welcome to Marrow Masters Season 3, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. This season of Marrow Masters focuses on the patient perspective and many needs regarding bone marrow and stem cell transplant. Here's your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhart. Welcome to Marrow Masters Patient Podcast Series, Season 3. Today we have Jim Bond with us. Jim will share his journey, including the setbacks, the struggles, the joy as a 28-year survivor of late-stage multiple myeloma, and also 8-year leukemia survivor, Jim lives near Cleveland, Ohio, and it is my pleasure to introduce Jim today. Hi, Jim. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Peggy. It's my delight to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing my story to help others that are dealing with transplants and uh, incurable blood cancers. Terrific. Well, let's start with the basics, Jim. Age, diagnosis, prognosis, the dismal report your doctor initially shared with you. Sure, I'd love to do that. First, I want to get out of the way my funny name. My name is James Bond, and I'm the real James Bond. The other guy's just a movie actor, (laughs) and uh, I can prove that. No, you're laughing. Everybody does, (laughs) but I can prove that. Here's my beautiful Bond girl of almost 50 years marriage, Kathleen Bond. Without Kathleen being with me every step of the way, I would be not with you today. She's been just unbelievably good as a caregiver, a partner, and a loving wife. That's so nice to hear, Jim. To our two boys who are grown. One lives in in Michigan, one lives in, in Florida. Two grandchildren. And I was 43 years old and enjoying really good health and everything going great when my my back was a little bit sore and the doctor after running a multitude of tests, sat me down with my wife, looked real somber and said, Jim, you have an incurable blood cancer. And he named it a name I'd never heard, multiple myeloma. And he goes through a lot. And I said, Doc, how long do you think I'll live? And he said, if everything goes well, you'll live two to three years if it goes well. Wow. And he said, uh, you might not want to go through this. You're a young guy, 43. Maybe you want to do your bucket list. And we went home that weekend. We thought about it, very upset, devastating. And I looked back at my own life and I said, you know what? I've had other health setbacks and I drew upon them. And I realized, you know what? One of them turned out really well. So I thought, nope, Doc, we're going to do it. We're going to give it our best shot. And that's what we did. So we did everything we thought we could control, and that was 28 years ago. That's incredible. Thank you. How did you get through the first 10 years? Well, I'll tell you, it's hard to go through 10 years quickly, but I will. Family support was just unbelievable. Not just Kathleen, but our sons, our other relatives, my coworkers at uh, the firm I worked at, my family, everybody was just terrific. A great, great medical team. And picking them out was crucial. And then getting comfortable with their personalities, them getting comfortable to me, very important. And then the usual drill with an incurable blood cancer like mine, chemotherapy, radiation. The unusual part of my story probably is that I had not one, not two, not three, but four bone marrow transplants. 
that's highly unusual. I haven't met anybody that's had that many. And I meet very few people that have lived 28 years. I would have to agree. My strategy was the first one worked for five plus years. So let's go, let's do it again. And that one, while it didn't work as long, it gave me some more years. And then my doctor said, hey, you got a sister that matches you. Let's use her for your third one. They call that kind of a bone marrow that's not your own. They call that an aloe or allogenetic. And while that worked fine with my getting her cells in my bone marrow, the timing was wrong. My cancer was uncontrollable. And so after a couple of months of living at home, trying to stay alive, the doctor said, Jim, we can't keep you alive anymore. Sorry to tell you, but you're done. Go to a hospice. There's nothing more that can be done for you. Well, in those first 10 years, we had learned a lot, including getting out of town to get some second opinions when necessary. And we had learned about a clinical trial that was showing good results, very good results for very sick myeloma patients like me. And when I brought that up, my doctor here in Cleveland, who's a very good doctor, he knew all about it, but he said, you'll never get in any opening anywhere in the United States in time to help you. So you're just wasting your time worrying about that. Well, I thought that, <laughs> that was odd that a guy who's just been told to go to a hospice, you're all done, <laughs> would worry about my wasting time. So I said, well, we're, we're going to waste some time, Doc. We're going to try. And he got a little, little miffed at me and walked out of the, the room. So I went back to my office and made some phone calls and found out <clears throat> there were a few places that might have an opening. And I placed calls and was hoping hoping for a call back because <clears throat> I was really on the ropes. And I'll never forget the call back. <clears throat> it was in my office. It was a Friday afternoon. And as an accountant, I orient myself towards analysis and detail. So I figured whoever, whatever doctor called me back would have some tough questions for a layman to answer. And so I was ready for some hard questions. And a younger-sounding British guy is on the other end of the phone. He says, Jim, Paul Richardson here at uh, Dana-Farber in Boston. I only have three questions for you. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be hard. He says, number one, how soon can you get here? And I said, well, I can get there tomorrow. And he said, well, tomorrow's Saturday. And I said, yeah. He said, Monday. He said, Monday'd be fine. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll be there. He says, two, are you willing to live here, uproot you and your wife, and live here in Boston for nine months? I said, nine months? I've just been told to go to a hospice. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Oh. And so uh, he said, he's, I forget number three, but that was the gist of it. So we got there, and I was very sick. I got to Boston. I was very sick. 104 temperature, kidney shutting down, legs swelling up, couldn't eat solid food. And uh, my wife was worried sick. And so she called the helpline the night before saying, hey, I don't think this guy's going to make it through the night. And the doc who answered was on call, happened to be the head of their myeloma program, Ken Anderson. And Ken talked Kathleen down from being on the ceiling and said, he'll make it through, get him in here, and we'll get him started. And he, before he hung up, he said, Kathleen, did anyone tell you or your husband that Jim was the seventh patient 
that we enrolled in this, this arm of the clinical trial. And therefore, his patient number really is 007. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. So he said, I think that's good karma. <clears throat> good karma for you. Well, he, he was right. It was very good karma. I went in after some obstacles to overcome. Within a week, they started me on this experimental drug. And within two weeks on the experimental drug, 99% of the protein that measures my cancer level went into remission. Wow. Nobody had seen that anywhere in the United States. And the developing drug company was right there in Boston. They went wild. And they, they all encouraged me not to get too excited. Let's see what happens. Well, it stayed that way. And I got through the trial and uh, essentially have been in and out of small rem relapses and remissions since then, basically. There's one exception I'll get to. But that trial saved my life, and we became huge believers in clinical trials. To date, I've been in six clinical trials to date. And I encourage other patients who think they're out of everything or even want to just see what their best option is if they're not out, consider them. They've really done wonders for me. In fact, I'm alive because of that one. That drug got approved. Its name is uh, Velcade with a V. It's good primarily for multiple myeloma. And uh, the company has been extraordinarily nice to us. They formed an ambassador group and invited us to join. So we get to go around the country and share our story with other uh, myeloma survivors. And that gives us a, an awful lot of satisfaction and hopefully helps some other people. So things are going pretty good. I, I would say so. That got my wife and I thinking, what if we didn't have the resources to go out of town and do all this? I would have died. Kathleen has been a longtime volunteer leader with the American Cancer Society, locally, statewide, region-wide, and nationally. And she said, Jim, that's why the American Cancer Society has 35 Hope Lodges around the country where adult cancer patients stay free with their caregiver while they're being treated for cancer. And I said, well, why don't I know about that? She said, well, we don't use donor funds to advertise. And so started thinking about how to raise awareness to Hope Lodges, owned by the American Cancer Society. And uh, she came up with an event on her own. And in 2007, she founded, after a couple of years of hard work, she launched the first annual American Cancer Society Pan-Ohio Hope Ride. Her idea was, Jim, we'll get people to ride their bicycles from one end of Ohio, Cleveland, up by Lake Erie, down to the other end, Cincinnati, on the uh, Ohio River. And four days, we'll have them stay in college dorms at night, and it clocks out on the country roads to be 328 miles. And I looked at it. <laughs> I said, honey... It's a great way to raise awareness and funds, but neither one of us cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and you really have to know Kathleen's as stubborn as I am, which makes it interesting around here at times. But she said, not to worry, we'll get that done. <laughs> we'll figure that out. And she did. She launched it. I thought, well, what the heck? She's gone through all this work. She's gotten all this going on. I went out and bought a bike. And before the ride... <clears throat> I talked to people about what to do and not to do. 
before the ride, a reporter, a local reporter came up to our younger son, Bob, and said, Bob, do you think your dad can really pull this off? Bob said, well, I don't know. But I'll tell you this about dad. When dad says he's going to do something, <clears throat> he's going to do it. So I saw that on TV at the <laughs> at 6 o'clock, and I thought, great, Bob, now I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it. I did it once all with my other older son, Bob, or Jim, riding with us, and Bob's wife, Stacy, and other relatives now ride. Anyhow, I rode 13 consecutive years, including the last one, and the event, Kathleen's event, has raised over 10 million bucks. Really? In the first 13 years. Wow, that's incredible. And that benefits the American Cancer Society then? It does. And the primary driver was Hope Lodges, so people can stay for free. Terrific. While they're getting treated at major centers, but it also, uh, American Cancer Society research rights to treatments and the rest of the stuff they do, which is amazing. It sure is. So things are going on pretty good. Then we hit the year 2012, which I think of as the year from hell. We had another family tragedy. But I got diagnosed with uh, treatment-related leukemia. Now, I didn't know anything about that cancer either, but my doctor here in Cleveland said, Jim, the thing is, you can't keep living with this treatment-related leukemia unless you get another bone marrow transplant. And this one has to be from an unrelated donor. Hmm. And he said, it's going to be rough. You're 64. We're not sure you'll make it. You may not want to do it. I said, we'll be down in the morning, get a bed for me. Got in, started the treatments, get me ready for this. And they started trying to find a, a match on the National Bone Marrow Transplant Database. But they said, you're not ready yet. We've we got to get your cancer level down. Well, it took a couple of weeks. It was difficult. They got my cancer level leukemia down. They found a match. They came in and announced they found a match. And I was thrilled. Oh, sure. They said, but oh, we're not sure you can live through it. We've got a committee. <clears throat> Some of them are against you. They think you're too old. You're too compromised. You can't do it. So I pleaded my case. They came back the next day and said, Jim, we changed the no votes to yes because you rode your bike two months ago across Ohio. They think 328 miles, four days. They think you have the strength. And stamina, we're going to take a chance on you. Well, <clears throat> I got the donor's cells. Over two months later, I was discharged from the hospital. Leukemia is in remission, where I've been since then for both cancers, leukemia and myeloma. So the truth is, without the American Cancer Society <clears throat> twice saving my life, I wouldn't be here. The clinical trial had a lot to do with it. The other things leading up to that had a lot to do with it. But I'm a huge believer in the American Cancer Society as well as clinical trials and some other things that we do. Other things like getting second opinions, like and this has been big since day one with cancer. Every day I make myself do some form of exercise, be a little, be it a lot, something. We stay current on what treatment options we have available, and we like to partner. In fact, we insist on partnering with our medical team. And that's worked out really well. We don't want to be the boss, but we want to be a, we want to be an active partner with a voice in, in the process. Later, I learned that my donor, my last donor, was from Germany, a woman from Germany, which kind of explained to me why 
I since then have this overwhelming desire to go to Oktoberfest. <laughs> I mean, I've always liked sauerkraut, but that I thought that was over the top. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. Thank you, Jim. We've developed a couple tips that might be helpful to some of the folks listening. Sure. One of these we call our 8 o'clock rule, 8 p.m. And we figured out that at that time of night <clears throat> for us, we're done talking about cancer. My cancer, a new development, anybody's cancer. It's got to wait till morning. And that's helped us a lot. I like that. If Kathleen were here with me, she'd have a caregiver tip. She was freaking out at one point because I was in remission and I had nothing to do but just enjoy my life, yet we knew it was coming back. She was having a hard time with that, and I don't blame her emotionally. So one day I go to work. I have to call her up. I said, Kathleen, I've been in an accident. I'm okay, but our car is not. Some <laughs> pink Buick crashed through a, a red light and T-boned me up against the car next to me on my side of the car. Everybody's hurt, but the car's, the car's gone. It's, you can't, we can't use it. And she started screaming at me. How could you do this? How could you do that after all you've been through? <laughs> and then she caught herself. She caught herself and she realized, oh, my God, any of us can be taken out or die at any moment. So why sweat the prognosis that, you know, your cancer's coming back or that you're going to die or whatever? And that helped a lot. It's helped both of us. It's not all been good news. Oh, sure. There are side effects. I have lost three inches of height. I have a curved spine. The shoulder has very little mobility due to, due to bone damage. My thyroid blew out, and I have graft-versus-host from the other donor affecting my skin and also severely affecting my eyesight. I had to stop driving a car until we asked a bunch of questions, got out of town, and found special contact lenses that solved that problem. And Kathleen's been with with me at my side every every step of the way. So it's been a, it's been an interesting story, interesting experience. Not every case is different, so my case is not going to be like anybody else's. We get that, and we like to talk and share our story either to groups or individually. I love to do email with people. Jim dot bond forty eight at gmail dot com. Phone call work. Whatever. If you go on the internet, search my name and the word myeloma, you'll get videos, you'll get stories on what we've been through. And we encourage people to do what they can to keep their hope up. And I really, I really enjoy the opportunity that Peg, you and your National Bone Marrow Transplant Link have given to help our story get through to maybe a couple more people. Because without the transplants, without my sister, number one, and then my German woman friend, number two, I'd have been a goner in both cases. So you're doing life's work. Keep up the great work. And some people hear my story, and even people that know me, and they say, oh, Jim, you're just lucky. You're a lucky guy. And I say, yeah, I'm a very lucky guy. But guess what? We've done everything we can to give luck a chance to happen. And I believe that by people who listen and watch this, this podcast, you're giving yourselves a chance for luck to happen by gaining more information, sharing more stories. And I thank you very much for listening. And uh, 
again, I'd welcome any exchanges you want to do. Thank you, Peggy. Oh, well, thank you, Jim. It, it has been a pleasure to hear your story. You are such an inspiration, and we are so glad that you're doing so well, and keep up the good work. Are you getting ready to ride this summer? Uh, this summer, I'm going to be a, an avid fundraiser, but uh, it's been a rough year. I had a lot of pneumonia in the last 18 months, and so my doctors said, Jim, why don't you take a year off? So I'll be, uh, I'll be cheerleading. But one thing I would like to add is this virus, this pandemic that the world is in, how has it affected us? Well, we learned a couple of things. One, I know what it's like to be confined for two and a half months in a hospital room. So this doesn't feel that bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's number one. Number two, the thing about dealing with cancer, my cancer, I learned was being compliant was extremely important. So... We try to be as compliant as we can with all the rules and guidelines that we're hearing from our authorities. So that would be my answer to how we cope with that awful pandemic. Yes, I appreciate that. We've been hearing that a lot. I have to say, our cancer patients, they've got this. It's the rest of us that are whining and carrying on. You guys are so strong and resilient, and you know how this goes. And this isn't even the worst of it for you. You know how to do it. And we appreciate that guidance. Well, thank you. Yeah. I just keep telling myself it can always be worse and it can. You just have to look around. Oh, thank you, Jim. You're, you are truly an inspiration and we appreciate you sharing your story with us today. You're welcome. This has been the Marrow Masters podcast. Feel free to share this episode via social media, text, or email. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org. Or just tap the link below in the show notes.